and under the earth, and on the sea, and, in, and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Heaven. This is something of a well-trailed double act. And uh, I'm going to look at what the scripture says and then Liz is going to talk about the impact of it. But the problem is that we tend to associate this kind of subject with funerals. This is not a funeral. It's a little bit like when you, you, know, you start talking about the incarnation, you can hear jingle bells. That There are those associations that restrict, actually, the, the benefit of great truth, because uh, heaven is a great truth. Uh, and yet, in pastoral care, and often when there's a, a bereavement or a tragedy, I am amazed about the lack of clarity and the confusion. And Well, we can't really know, can we? That good, sound Christians come out with. Now, in the world out there, we, people are living as if there's no tomorrow. This is all there is. Make the most of it. Get as much of it as you can because there's nothing following it. Now, for a Christian, we ought not to be living as if there is no tomorrow. That's the essence of it. And yet there is a strange silence, almost an awkwardness. To talk about heaven and hell just feels a bit Victorian. It's not very inclusive, is it, in our inclusive age? That you've got your view, I've got mine, but we're all right, really. Heaven and hell, and the idea of a separate destiny for different parts of mankind cuts absolutely at variance to that. In the church, actually, there used to be quite a prominent emphasis on heaven. We used to sing four hymns, and the last verse was always about heaven. Do you remember those? Those with grey hair. Do you remember those days? You used to sing it out of a green book, or a red book. And uh, generally speaking, there would be one hymn, there would be one verse in every hymn that pointed about the future. That, that's not an emphasis today. And, and of course, we live in a day where everybody feels they've got a right to live to 80 or 90. And that premature deaths and explosions are, are horrendous and, and are robbing us of our right. But of course, our grandparents didn't live in that culture, did they? TB took hundreds. Most families lost babies. Very few kept them all. And if you did, you had 12 Which is not a good idea. <laughs> I, I remember in the village where we first pastored in South Wales, in, in Kevin Crebo, there was a, a colliery, Park Slip, and uh, the, in, in the Independent, and a Bunwea Chapel, they were singing um, in the evening service, and they sang a hymn about heaven, and they sang it again, and somebody said, sing it, and they sang it through three or four times, and by, by the next morning, they were all dead, all the leaders just wiped out in one big bang. 200 people died. Nearly every home in the village lost somebody. But we, we don't live in those days anymore. In fact, there used to be a day when people with grey hairs were, 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 were the, the important people. 
not the has-beens, not those that are being wheeled out into obscurity, because, of course, today, it's not age and experience that counts, it's youth and beauty, isn't it? As you know. And this kind of existentialist, that this is all we've got. We, we just got to make the most of it, and death has become a taboo subject, hasn't it? Can I say that that whole mindset is catastrophic for us? We're going to miss the purposes of God if we live only for the day. If, I, if, if it gets into my head that actually this heaven stuff is all pie in the sky when you die, and it, it has no bearing on where I am, we will end up just being nicer materialists. I think I mentioned this before, but on, on that, that series, uh, Bread of Heaven, that the t TV presented it, remember? And uh, that, that there was a secular historian on, on that who said the church seems to have lost its edge since it stopped talking about heaven and hell, John Davis. Which is an amazing, amazing comment. So what about it? Is there a heaven when you die? What do you reckon? Now, don't give me your trite evangelical, of course, when in your heart, you're just not sure at all. I just want to nail these two things before I wheel my wife on. <laughs> I just want to fix these, answer these two questions. Is there a heaven, and what will it be like? The first one is straightforward. The Old Testament weren't many references, but Job referred to an afterlife, so did David. But it's when we come to the Lord Jesus, and we are Christians when all said and done. And Jesus was emphatic. Don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. Now Jesus is the one who came from heaven, spoke about it, and returned to heaven, and told us how it was that we were going to get there. Do you remember what he said to the thief on the cross? Remember? Today, today, you will be with me in paradise. So there was, the, the issue was a done deal where Jesus was concerned. He was very clear. And of course, the Apostle Paul had the advantage. He didn't come from heaven, but he did have a preview. He, remember, he, was, he put it in testimony terms, in third person. But it, remember he talked, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up into paradise. He heard inexpressible things, things that man is not permitted to tell. So at some point, the Apostle Paul was caught up and he saw into heaven. That was why when the question, do you want to hang around here, Paul? Or do you want to go there, Paul? He said, well, I, to be truthful, he said, I, I, I'm in two minds, Philippians 1.21. Because to be with Christ would be far better. Because he'd seen it, you see. And therefore, once he'd seen it, he couldn't wait to get there. And of course, Revelation, we looked at chapter 4. Today we have read chapter 5. If you've turned over to the end, to 21 and 22, that there, there, there are these pictures of heaven. Now, they are pictures. They are images. The problem is, our only categories for understanding are in terms of the finite senses that we have. 
heaven will blow our minds away. But Jesus has given us images to help us understand to the extent that we are capable of understanding when we haven't seen it yet. And he talks about mansions and banqueting halls and a city coming down and a sports arena when those that have run the race will go and receive the prize. He talked very clearly about heaven. And, and of course, it is a key perspective. It's something that needs to be in our expectation, our hope, our prospect. It's, is heaven worth living for? Or must we demean ourselves by living for this? If you've read Bunyan's Pilgrim Progress, it, 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 he's, he's a, the Christian is a, is a pilgrim on a journey to a celestial city. And the celestial city is shining light onto his path. And he, he's heading somewhere. Now, that's the sense of purpose for a Christian. And of course, the writer to the Hebrews says it in even clearer terms. We are not, he was talking about the greats of faith. He was not looking forward to the city with foundations. He was looking forward, sorry, to the city with foundations, this is of Abraham, whose architect and builder is God. And again, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And again, talking about the Christian tasting something of heaven here. You have, not, you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. And chapter 13, verse 14. Here we do not have an enduring city. We are not made to be here forever. You can put your roots down as long as you like. You can even pay to have your Fred's head decapitated at death and put in a fridge in L.A. just in case at some point in medical breakthroughs they, they find out how to stick a head back onto somebody else's body. You can do that if you like. But actually, you're simply fighting against this verse. Here we have no enduring city, but we look for a city that is to come. That's the Christian. We, we, we have had a taste here and we're looking forward for what is still ahead. Hebrews again describes Jesus as like an anchor. He's gone into heaven ahead of us and he's tied us onto the chain and he's pulling us in. What a great picture that is. So, first of all then, this is not the end. Death, therefore, has lost its sting. We need not fear death at all. If, if we were to die, if we'd been on that, on that underground or in that bus, we would have been absent from the body, present with the Lord. The sting is gone. So that's the first thing I want you to know. If you're a Christian, heaven awaits. Jesus has gone on. It's going to be okay. Rest in it. The second thing I wanted to say is that heaven is going home. There's nothing in the, in the scriptures about wafting on clouds like something with a, a, a flying saucer over your head um, playing a stereophonic harp. That there is nothing. So some, if, you, if you look at the nonsense on the telly, you'd think that 
that we're going to become angels singing in choirs, all with seraphic smiles. Doubtful. The, the, the passage that we've read here, in chapter 5 and verse 10, talks about people and whole tribes. And the theme is salvation, because there are humans in heaven. Key point. The Bible always describes heaven as an environment for people. That when Jesus went on the Mount of Transfiguration, Elijah and Moses appeared to him, with him, from heaven, and they were people. More importantly, follow my logic. Jesus was born incarnate, a human being. He died on a cross. But then he rose again, and a change had occurred in his physical body. Remember? He could still eat fish, but he could walk through doors. Right? So that his human body had been metamorphosed. There had been this change. But then what happened? After 40 days, he, this body ascended. There is a resurrection body in the heavens. He is the first fruits. That's what the scripture describes him as. The first of very, very many. Corinthians 15. So it shall be at the resurrection of the dead. This, the body that is sown perishable, it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. Thessalonians 4, the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive, who are left, will be caught up in our bodies with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and we will be forever with the Lord in our bodies. There is to be a new heaven and a new earth, Eden restored. Can I, let me put it this way. Did you know, have you heard of Augustine? If you've done Word Plus, you are an expert on Augustine. Augustine is still alive. Martin Luther is still alive. Is that weird? John Wesley is still alive. And some of you will be delighted to know that Martin Lloyd-Jones is still alive, but I doubt that he's preaching. <laughs> Jesus spoke about the rich man and Lazarus as people, recognizable people. Will we all be monolithic angels? No, not at all. We will know one another. It will be an, an, an environment for people that there's going to be a new look you. How good is that? Permanently 30. 30. Colour me beautiful, eat your heart out. No wrinkle cream in heaven. Imagine. What are you going to do in the morning, ladies? And here, in, in chapter 5, just this sense of thrill, destiny secured, victory paid for, and just this whole sense of worship, a delightful paradise where we know one another, where life is in its fullness, 
But sometimes we think of heaven like funerals. Is everybody going to be wearing a black suit in heaven? Will you have to look as miserable in heaven as sometimes you look in church? Martin Luther said, if, you, if you're not allowed to laugh in heaven, I don't want to go there. Because it wouldn't be fullness of life if there wasn't joy and laughter, would it? But there are also going to be rewards in heaven. The, the Apostle Paul was waiting for his kind of prize-giving day. That, uh, that he, he spoke in Corinthians 9, Do you not know that, a, that in a race all the runners run, but one gets the prize? Run to get the prize. And at the end of his life, writing to Timothy, second, I fought the fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. There is now a store for me, in store for me, in heaven, the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Now there's a thought. This investing for heaven. Do you remember what Jesus said with the parable of the talents? That those who've been responsible over little here would be responsible over much there. Those that had managed well their cities here would be responsible for more cities there. A few talents here, so that there are going to be responsibilities in heaven. Now, what, what impact? We, we have big, tasted heaven here. The, the life of God that has touched you, the work of the Spirit in your life, is the beginning. The kingdom of heaven has begun. You've had a taste. The, the, the writer to the Hebrews talks about those who have tasted the heavenly gift, shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the power of the age to come. That's you and I. So, what impact ought... You can, this is your time now. What impact ought this to have on us? Um, just as Liz is coming, uh, if you want to... The, uh, and I'm sure Sharon will get it. Um, Douglas Connolly's book, The Promise of Heaven discovering our eternal home. If you want more clarity, I'll put that down here as well. It would be a good read for you. Well, one sermon, one preacher in the family is probably quite enough. But I'm, I'm just going to share a few personal um, reflections on heaven with you. Um, but I really don't want them just to be personal reflections. One of the things that I notice in the scriptures that interests me is the number of people who... Um, who died and were brought back to life again, and yet none of them gave their, I saw this, I saw that, it was like this, I felt something else. The Bible is totally silent. Personal testimony um, is not the point. The point is, what does Jesus say about heaven? What is absolutely trustworthy? What can I hold on to? So in my personal reflections, I want to anchor them around scriptures, and I want to read just one from... Uh, starting off from 1 Corinthians, uh, chapter 15, and looking at verses um, 17 to 19. 1 Corinthians 15, 17 to 19. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, 
we are to be pitied more than all men. And I think, for me, the important thing there is that heaven matters to this life. Because if it's true, if it's trustworthy, if I am going to heaven when I die, it changes absolutely everything about every day. It's not just something to think about once or twice a year. It's an everyday thing. And Paul says here, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, if this is all we've got, then please pity us. Please feel terribly sorry for us. Because then our faith is futile. But he's saying, no, no, our faith is not futile. Heaven affects every day. And we must remember that. And I think one of the things I want to say is how grateful I am that I grew up as a child where heaven was talked about. And if I can say anything to parents, please talk to your children about heaven. It's not difficult. Keep it simple. But do talk to your children about heaven. If you prepare them to go to school, if you prepare them for other events of life, if you take a lot of trouble that they know what is coming next, then do talk to them about heaven. My own experience is that my mother died when I was four, and I remember my father, a very vague memory of my father telling me that mummy had gone to heaven, and one day we would see her again, and we would see Jesus. Now, I don't want to pretend that those things are not very painful to me. They are. But I want to say I'm so grateful for the hope that I was given as a young child. And I endeavoured to give that to my children. And let me just explain how it is easy, and yet you can, you can um, find yourself in, in amusing situations. I remember when Ruth was about three or four, and I'd talked to her about heaven. I always wanted my children to grow up with this certainty that should something awful happen, um, and we were taken, that they would know where we were, that they would know what had happened. And so, actually, David's gran died, and we were talking about gran going to heaven, and I explained to, to Ruth about this. And then um, she, she started getting a little bit concerned because she thought it was, it was a bit frightening to go on your own to heaven. So I explained to her that, no, um, there would be lots of friends, and started listing people in the church who would also be in heaven. And just this sense, this wonderful sense, isn't it, that we gather together around the throne. And a, a few weeks after this, um, it was the Sunday school outing. And in Kevin Cribble, everybody went on the Sunday school outing, but everybody. And as we climbed on the coach with our bags and our sandwiches and our flasks, Ruth looked at me and she said, are we going to heaven now, mummy? <laughs> because she realized that all of a sudden we were all together and we were all going somewhere. But I don't regret talking to her about heaven. And can I say, mums and dads, do talk to your children about heaven. Um, when every time we have communion, I remember those words that we do this until he comes. Not an endless time, but it's almost as though every time we break bread together, we can tick off another one gone. Another one gone. We only do this until he comes. Um, and I, I just want to read a piece from Amy Carmichael. She was a missionary in India who um, reached out to very, very poor Indian children. 
And she tells this wonderful story of, of a little girl. And she says a little girl was slowly dying in her worldly home in India. And a Christian doctor who was called to see her told her of our Lord Jesus. After a little while, she began to understand and to love him. One day she said, I don't know anyone in heaven. I shall feel very shy there. But you know our Lord Jesus, said the doctor. You won't be shy of him. And she was comforted. <clears throat> Soon after that, she saw him, the Lord who loved her and gave himself for her. I just think it's terribly important that, um, that we keep it simple and talk to heaven. And I just have to do a plug for the olive branch because it's obviously that sort of morning. Um, I, I have found personally this Patricia St. John's book, Tanglewood Secrets, is a beautiful story. And in the story, a little boy dies. And um, the little girl who has prayed for his healing uh, can't understand it and is desperately sad and goes into the field um, and is just walking around and she's crying. And the, the shepherd, who is a, a lovely Christian man in the story, comes to her. And let me just read a tiny bit, but this is such a beautiful picture and so, so helpful if you're trying to explain things to children. I told him all about Terry and his pain and his picture and how he'd come to live with us and he hadn't got better. This little boy had died. I prayed so hard he would get better, I said despondently, but it didn't do any good. God didn't listen and Terry died. Little maid, said Mr. Tandy, rather hesitantly. If you come to me and says, there's a little lame lamb down yonder, what can't run about on account of the pasture being steep and the stones sharp, and supposing I come down and picked up that little lamb and carried him in my arms to another pasture where the grass was sweet and the ground easy-like, you wouldn't come and tell me I hadn't heeded you, would you? I gazed at him dumbly. I was beginning to understand. Little maid, he went on. The shepherd took his lamb home. That's all. There are helpful ways that we can talk to our children about heaven. It gives them a security that nothing else can give. Another thing about heaven, though, is, is the perspective it gives. And David's already said quite a bit about this. But I want just to read the verse in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. And Paul says there, For I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. His life has been given away. And the time has come for my departure. I've fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. And I have to say, I, don't, I honestly don't think there has been a day that I can remember when I've not thought about heaven. At some point during the day, I have longed for heaven. 
And the, and the promise here is for those who have longed for his appearing. And that phrase comes in several places because it changes our perspective on everything. And I just want to just tell you a few ways in which God has just given me pictures that have helped me to think about this. We have some friends who um, bought a piece of land and they planned to build a magnificent home. And we're so glad they did because we were able to visit sometimes. And this magnificent home included an indoor swimming pool and snooker. And it was a, it was a good place to be. But I can remember when they bought this piece of land and they had an architect who designed this marvelous home and they lived in a caravan on the corner of this piece of land while the home was being built. And I remember going to visit them in their caravan and it was pretty cold, it was the winter and um, they had bales of straw under the caravan to try and insulate a little bit below but they were happy, and on the wall in the caravan was the artist's impression of this home that they were building. And I thought, really, that's like us. You know, they tried to make that caravan as comfortable and as pleasant a place to be, but only for a while, because there was a picture on the wall of the home that they were building. And I thought, yeah, that's how the Lord wants us to be. Okay, let's make our homes comfortable. Let's... let's there's nothing wrong with, with doing things that make this life enjoyable, but let's never forget we're in a caravan. It's temporary. Let's keep that picture on the wall. This, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. And I think in our troubles and in our difficulties, we need that perspective of heaven because it changes everything. I remember... Um, to when Ruth was very small. I can remember taking her to a, um, a market and she was absolutely fascinated, as little girls are, by the jewellery store, which was the tackiest plastic stuff you have ever seen. I think most of you who've got little girls know exactly what I'm talking about. Oh, look at this, Mum, it's shiny. And it was tacky, plastic stuff. And I thought, as I, as, as I looked at this little girl, so fascinated by such pathetic stuff, I thought, she, actually, there's a solid gold watch at home that will be hers one day. And yet she's gripped and bewitched by plastic. And I just wonder sometimes whether... The father doesn't look at us and think, don't be so bewitched and beguiled by the glittery stuff. You know, it's passing. It's very, 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 very pathetic compared to the joys that are set before us. And when joys come our way, when good things come our way, let's enjoy them. But let's remember they have nothing in comparison. Let's not hold on to them Let's not be gripped by them or deluded by what this world offers. It's very plastic, very, very superficial compared with the heaven. Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising its shame for the joy that was set before him. However good things are for you, they're only plastic 
They're only bits of stuff compared with what is set before you. And then David's talked about the race, but I just want to share something that I shared at the Ladies' Fellowship. I watched um, the last time that um, Paula Radcliffe ran her race. And do, you, do you remember how they bunch together, don't they, in races? And they, they sort of run along, and I was going to say jog along, but it's a bit more than that, isn't it, really? Um, jog along together. And then you notice that somebody slips away and runs on and joins another group. And I thought, you know, that... The Christian life is a bit of a race, and we're all going to win. We're all going to get there to the prize. And for some times in our lives, we jog together, and we encourage one another, and God puts us together to jog along and to spur one another on and to pace set for each other and say, come on, you can do it, you can keep going. And then sometimes we move from one group to another, and the Lord moves us on, and he says, jog with a different group now. Spur them on, encourage them, just say, come on, keep going, because we're all going to win. We're all running the race, and there is a prize laid up for us. And we can, we can jog together for a while, and I'm grateful for the times that we've jogged together here. But the Lord is saying, move on, and we've got to all do that. We've got to move on, because we're not just going around in circles. We're not just here marking time. We're in a race and we're heading home and uh, we run to win and we won run one day to see him and one day to be gathered around the throne together. One day together. Won't that be a wonderful day? Doesn't that give us enough to keep going? Doesn't that put some of our difficulties into perspective? And I, I think as well the the troubles that we have, and I know, I look around now, and I know some of you have deep troubles, pain that goes very deep, situations that are very, very hard. And in the light of, of that, I just want to remind you of, of the verse in 2 Corinthians that says this, this, for we do not lose heart, though we are outwardly wasting away, yet in, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And I just want to encourage you, for those who are in situations of great sadness and sorrow and pain, it won't always be like this. This is not forever. Our troubles are momentary. While we're in the middle of them, it seems like forever. But heaven reminds me there's a day of joy coming. There's a day when all the tears, every single one, will be wiped away. All the pain, all the sadness will be gone. And heaven gives us a perspective on trouble and pain that is so important. But last of all, I just want to say, heaven gives us this picture of the unseen. I have, I have got tired of hearing Christians say, I don't know if I want to go to heaven, because if it's just like one long Sunday morning that never ends, I've, I've, heard, it, I've heard it so many times, if heaven is just a long service that goes on forever, um, really, we've, 
we've misunderstood ourselves and we've certainly misunderstood the Lord if we think that. I was walking um, a while back around the reservoir um, in Plenishan and I, I just used to like to go there to pray and just get away and just get out and just spend time with the Lord. It was my date with the Lord. And I remember just wandering around, just praying quietly, and I noticed some molehills. And God spoke to me and, and said, there's a molehill there because just underneath the surface there's a mole. Now that's not blind. That's interesting, but it's not a blinding revelation. But I, I started to think, I just felt the Lord spoke to me about, he said, that mole lives in darkness, very, very near this beautiful world, and the sun was shining, and it was fabulous. And that mole has no idea how, although he's so near, he does not know this world. And I felt like the Lord was saying, in the same way that I was experiencing something so, so much better than the mole, that the Lord was saying to me, the comparison between with what you know and where I am is much, much greater than the difference between what you can see and enjoy and the mole. And I suppose Christmas is something like imagining that, that I would become a mole in order to reach the moles. I would limit myself to that darkness and that complete limitation in order to identify with a mole and yet say to them one day I'll take you to my place and you know that's what Jesus did he left the splendor of heaven and poor blind moles that we are we can't imagine it being much better than this but Jesus left the splendor of heaven and became one of us and said because one day I'll take you to my place and I haven't understood if I can begin to think that that might be boring. I haven't understood the wonder of the world that he has prepared for us. No eye has seen. We can't take it in in the same way that I couldn't tell that mole in his mole hole what my wonderful world was like that I was enjoying. And I do believe that the Lord wants us to realize that one day we will see wonder beyond, beyond, beyond anything we could understand now. And we, we wait because of his promise. Peter says in his letter, and he had seen so much, he'd seen amazing things. But he says in his letter, in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. But the best thing, it'll be a fantastic thing, we will be amazed at the wonder of the creation that God has made, the new heaven and earth. But face to face with the Lord, won't everything else pale beside that? This sinner and the Saviour face to face, what a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful thing that will be. To see the one who has loved us. To see the one who has rescued us from darkness because he wanted us. I don't understand that. He wanted us in heaven with him. He said to his father, I want 
them to be with me. I don't understand that. It's too big. But I can't wait to be there. I can't wait to see him. And I'm so glad we'll share that experience together. Tony uh, needs me to ask, are you going? I have to ask, I, I, will you be in heaven with us when the coach arrives or whatever? Are you going to heaven? Are you sure? Are you sure? Because if we're sure, lots of other things that bother us probably won't matter. Thank you, Liz, for that. But do you know how to get to heaven? Do, do you know how to make sure now that heaven will open to you then? Because that's what life is for. That that's the most important discovery that any of us will ever make. Fancy going all the way through life and not knowing at the end of it how to get to heaven and ending up in the wrong place. That uh, Douglas Connolly in his book talks about the, the occasion when he went to meet his father-in-law and his, his, his wife-to-be came from rather well-to-do stock and uh, he, he went to meet his father-in-law for the first time and he went looking reasonably cool um, you know, it was casual, and didn't realize that when he went in and the family were, um, were, were gathered, that they were all suited and dressed to kill. And he, he describes the experience of walking in and realizing that you are utterly, utterly inadequately dressed. Some people w wake in the night screaming at the thought of that ever happening of everybody else wearing the same colour as you. But uh, the, in, in his book, he, he describes a bumper sticker and says, heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. Are you ready? Have you believed personally in the Lord Jesus Christ as your saviour? Is your sin forgiven? Do you know that a contract has been made so the Holy Spirit has come to live in your heart. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you this morning for clarity and for the excite, excitement of expectation that there's something much, much better to come. And some of us, Lord, are just... the whole thing is a blur and we're not sure. And we have to come to you, Lord Jesus, and say, Lord, will you come into my heart? Forgive me my sin and rebellion and my waywardness. Will you put your spirit in my life? Forgive me my sin, that you might take me to your heaven. I, I don't know who you are. I don't know how you've come here this morning. I don't know how long this issue of this anxiety almost has been going on in your life that things are not as they should be. You, you, you'd like to be a Christian, but you're not yet a Christian. This could be your morning. 
Will you take that step to seal it with the Lord Jesus, that he might become your own saviour and write your name in heaven? Please, before you leave this morning, please make your way to the front. There will be a number of people there willing to pray and help you take this step. And Lord, for the rest of us, we ask you that you will help us to live with that prize in view, living not tied to this world, but in anticipation of the next one. For Jesus' sake. Amen.